Good morning. Maybe I fixed it. I moved it over here. So whenever I'm talking over here, it's loud. You guys will get the quiet version over here. Hey. <laughs> uh, it's good to see all of you, and it's, it's really good to see some of you who weren't here last time. I was kind of uh, sad. Last time there were so many out that were sick and, and struggling, and, and I'm glad to see many of you back uh, today, and it's a, a joy to be here with you and, and be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, I was thinking about what is the Church of Christ, what are we known for, uh, and there's some negative things I think sometimes that people associate with us, maybe that we're closed-minded or, or judgmental or argumentative or, or we think we're the only ones going to heaven, those sorts of, of things, ideas that people have about the church. But then there are some positive things, too, uh, that are associated. Hopefully they get also that we love one another. Jesus said that's how they will know you, that you love one another. Uh, I think that we're known for singing uh, and for being a people that enjoy singing praise to God and are, are good at it because we do it so often and, and we're not drowned out by the instruments that have come into the denominational world. Uh, and we grew up, many of us, singing uh, praise to God. So we're known as a singing people. Uh, I think we're known as a people who know our Bibles pretty well. Uh, or have been throughout throughout the ages. Uh, but one thing that I think we, we should be known for, and that we want to be known for, but we not necessarily are, is that we need to be a, a praying people. And I think sometimes we struggle with, I know that I do, I struggle in my prayer life, but prayer is such an important aspect of being a Christian, having access to God in that way, through His Son, able to come before Him with our heart's desires, our, our difficulties, our struggles. And, and the prayer life of the Christian is very important. So today I just want to, I want to talk a little bit about prayer life, make this a very applicable lesson, look at some ways that we can improve, particularly in our, our public prayers and, and in our private prayers, uh, and just a short study today of prayer. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And that reads, that Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. We get here what Jesus was doing when they asked him to teach them to pray. He had just been praying. He went to a certain place and was praying. Now, this comes right after, in the book of Luke, where Luke has given the account of Jesus being at Mary and Martha's house. And Mary and Martha have very different reactions to, to being with Jesus. And Jesus gently rebukes Martha, who was distracted with much serving, and tells her that she's anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Mary was sitting there listening at the feet of Jesus, 
why Martha was concerned and anxious with the activities that needed to be done because the Lord was in their house. And it's right after that that there's this break in the, ta- in the text where it says, and it came to pass. So there's obviously a little bit of time that has passed. We don't know how much time. Uh, but we know that a little bit of time has passed. And we see that Jesus has gone to a certain place and he's praying. So I think that's really important for us to get that Jesus was busy. Jesus could very easily have been anxious about many things that needed to be done. Uh, and that comes right on the heels of that, that story, that account of that. Jesus had people flocking to him, wanting to hear him teach, wanting to be healed by him. Uh, certainly Jesus could have been busy from the time he woke up in the morning until his head hit the bed at night. But he set aside a time to go to a certain place and pray. And the text doesn't read that Jesus was going about his business, doing all the things that needed to be done, praying as he went. It says that he was in a certain place, a selected place, a place where he could go and concentrate just on praying. And Jesus often did this. We don't have to to guess at that. The text often tells us that he did that, that he separated himself and he goes to a place and prays. We get it in Luke 22, 39, where it says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. He went there to pray. And in fact, this may be the same certain place. We don't know, but it would make sense because Mary and Martha's house was in Bethany. That's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And you would cross over uh, to go to Jerusalem. There's a path that goes from Bethany to Jerusalem and that's the Mount of Olives. So perhaps it's the same place because it was his custom to go there. We often see Jesus doing that in the mountains in, in Luke six twelve. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. What do you think Jesus prayed about that night, all night, before he selected the twelve that would be the apostles. I think it's telling that he's praying on the, the night before he makes that decision, before he announces his decision. He's probably praying for strength and courage and, and wisdom and to make that decision and to, to care for those students of his, those special students that he would have, that he would task with their mission. And He's doing that on the eve before, all night before he makes that decision and announces it to people. Probably for safety of the twelve. So he knew they would be faced with persecution and difficulties. Courage for them. Unity for them. I think those are the kinds of things that Jesus prayed for. And we can get that from other prayers that he, he says. And... When he finished, it says here in Luke 11.1, 1, that's when the disciples approach him and ask him, how should we pray? Can you teach us to pray? I think that shows reverence. Reverence on the part of the students of his who are coming and asking, how, how can we pray better? How can you teach us to pray? 
But they don't interrupt him in his prayer. They wait until he is done. I think it shows reverence on the part of Jesus to go to a certain place at a certain time that he's designated just for this task. And reverence is, is a deep show of respect for someone or, or something. And to regard and treat that with that deep respect. And I think it's important in our prayers that we do that. We do it as a congregation when we're in public prayer. Uh, and I often see this uh, happen where, where someone is coming into the auditorium, but there's about to be a prayer. They'll stop, right? They're not going to continue walking while the prayer is going. They're going to stop and be reverent to God because we're going before the throne of God. And in setting aside a time and a place to go, Jesus is being reverent to God. And the disciples are being reverent in that they didn't interrupt him. And I think we lose a lot of that in our culture. We have to remember and remind ourselves to approach the throne of God with reverence and humbleness. And remember that it's a great privilege to be there before God, to be able to to have that avenue of prayer is a great, great privilege. The other thing I want to note here, and I find it really interesting, you know, there are five acts of worship, five and a half if you count announcements, and right, announcements aren't, aren't an act of worship, but there are five acts of worship, and you think about preaching. We have preaching schools. People go and they, they learn how to preach, uh, they get advice, they, they look up YouTube videos, they learn how to be better speakers, they work at it, they practice at at speaking and being preachers. The same is true for singing. The act of worship of singing is, is we will practice, we will put thought into the songs that we select. But you don't ever find, I don't believe, where the disciples went up to Jesus and said, teach us to preach or teach us to sing. You don't find that in the scripture. But you do find here in Luke 11.1, 1, teach us to pray. Now, do you think that the disciples had not been praying up to this point? Do you think they'd never led a prayer, we need to learn how to pray? Well, no. I think they'd been praying since they were little. I think they'd been hearing prayers in the synagogues their whole lives. Certainly, they were already praying. They're asking for Jesus to teach them how to pray better. Teach us how to do better in our prayers. And so I think it's appropriate for us to spend time this morning thinking about this, how can we do better in our prayer life? We want to give our best to God. And it's important that when we lead public prayers, that we, we put thought into this, just as we do with the song service, just as we do with preaching, just as we do with the Lord's Supper. Prayer is an important part of worship. And then Jesus says, when you pray. That's how he starts the answer to him. He doesn't say, if you pray, or if you get in trouble and have to pray. He says, when you pray. He knows that his people are going to be a praying people. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And you see what they do in the book of Acts over and over again. It's focusing on prayer. You get it in Acts 2, right after the church is established, they continue in the doctrine and prayer. 
in Acts 2.42. In Acts 4.23, there's a prayer meeting there where they're praying. In Acts 6, right before they appoint deacons, it's they're appointing deacons so that the elders have more time to pray. And you get this throughout the book of Acts. We're to pray without ceasing. And you see that in the lives of the disciples throughout the early church. They prayed when Peter was in prison, but I'm not sure how much they prayed in the sense that they thought it was really going to work because when Peter comes, they're pretty surprised. But nevertheless, they prayed fervently for Peter's release after James has been killed and Peter arrested. So when we pray in worship, I think we need to focus on what prayer is in the positive, in the sense of what is prayer? What are we to be doing in our prayers? And prayer is a a petition, an entreaty, a request, and an opening up of our heart expressed to God in words. In Romans 10.1, you say, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It was Paul's desperate desire that the Jewish people would be saved. They had been God's people all this time. That time was now past. The church was God's new Israel, new people. And he's praying that they would accept the Christ, that they would obey the gospel. It's his fervent prayer. That's his heart's desire. But Jesus says ask. He doesn't say just feel. God wants us to come to him with our desires. God knows what our desires are. God knows everything. But He wants that relationship with us. He wants us to have a meaningful, deep relationship with Him. So when we pray, we need to do it in such a way that we're opening our hearts up to God. I think the most beautiful definition of it in the Bible, to me, is in 1 Samuel one, where Hannah has gone and she is praying and she's opening up her heart to God and she's so emotional, she's so involved in it that Eli actually thinks that she's drunk and he, he rebukes her. And she says, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful definition of prayer that Hannah, Hannah gives right there? And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to pour out our souls, our hearts, to Him. And know that we can lean on Him for our every care and every struggle. So that's what prayer is in the positive. We need to look at some things where that prayer is, is not, in the negative. What is prayer not? It is not to be something that we just memorize and thoughtlessly say... Uh, as, as almost a mechanical recitation. In other words, you know, we don't just memorize the prayer because we're nervous or we haven't prepared. We just get up there and we say the same familiar phrases. I'm sure I've incorporated them. It doesn't mean when we use, when we ask for the speaker to have ready recollection, those kinds of things. It doesn't mean we don't mean that, but it can get to where we're just saying the same things every time in prayer and we're not putting thought into it it's not to be just vain repetition it's to be meaningful 
We pray for many of the same things every time. We, we are thankful for God's blessings. We're praying for the sick, or those that are grieving. Uh, and we mean those things. And it's not wrong to pray those things. But it can be wrong if we just get up there and have this memorized prayer that we say each and every time. We have to mature beyond that point. We have to engage the heart. It's easy to say a prayer and not pray a prayer. We've got to engage our heart and our mind and pray the prayer. So that's the first thing that it, that it's not. It's not a vain repetition. It's something that comes from deep within. Second, prayer is not an ultimatum to God. We don't go to God and, and make some kind of deal with God and say, if you will do this for me, then I'll worship you. Then I'll obey you. Uh, the classic example of this is when you have a sick child and you're praying for that child and the child dies, as is what happened with King David. And you say, there is no God or God is not faithful. He would not have abandoned me in my time of need. I'm not going to worship him because I prayed and he didn't answer me. Uh, we get that from people sometimes. Well, did God answer you? He said, no, that's an answer. I know that when I asked my dad for things, sometimes he said, no, I didn't like it very much, but I still respected my father. And certainly we have to do that with God. Sometimes the answer is no. And we cannot give some ultimatum to God where we, we make this deal. Well, if you will do this, then I will do what's required of me. That's not what prayer is. It is not a means to inform God or scold people. Uh, men have been known, and I, I'm guilty of this myself at the dinner table, to scold your children in a prayer. And it says, help us to be not so mean to each other and be argumentative. Have I ever done that? Okay, yes. So, guilty. But in studying this, that's not what prayer is to be. It's not a chance to rebuke people in your life. Others have been known to use prayer, and I have seen this happen at a church, to get back at some brother or sister who you're on the outs with. And prayer is too sacred for abuses like that. It gets back to reverence and what we are there for. And you think about the Pharisees' prayer in Luke 18, the example that Jesus gives there, and the Pharisees' attitude was, I'm glad I'm not like other men who, who don't do what you want. They commit all these acts of sin, or, or like this publican over here. I'm glad I'm not like him. And that prayer wasn't acceptable to God because God knows what's in people's hearts. God knows the sins in people's lives. He doesn't need the Pharisee, to tell him what other people are doing, that, that shows you what's in the Pharisee's heart. Another thing that prayer is not is it's not a fire escape. It's not something we just use at times of emergency. You say, well, I've got nothing else I can do. I guess I'll pray. Or I wish I could do something, but I'll just have to pray. Or I'm desperate, so I'll pray. Well, that's not how God wants us to approach him. That's what it means when it says pray without ceasing. We're, we're to 
continually do that in our lives. We're to turn to God first, not as a last resort. When things are desperate, now I'm going to turn to God in prayer. We're to have a relationship with God through prayer all the time, not just in times of need. Another thing that prayer is not is it's not a means of ministering to one's selfishness. It's not just a time to request all kinds of physical blessings for yourself. That, that fabled Ferrari that I want so bad uh, that I'll never, I'll never get. I don't pray for a Ferrari uh, because I don't believe my motivations are good for wanting to own a Ferrari. Uh, and, and that's why I'll probably never have one uh, unless someone just happens to park one in my driveway and say, here are the keys. But I'll never buy a Ferrari because uh, it's not good for me to have and not a good way to spend my money. But examples, if I'm praying for a big job or a raise or I want a new car or some other physical blessing, I need to search my motives. Am I saying I want these things uh, so that I can be a better servant to God, so that I can help people that are in need or help a brother in Christ who's struggling? We need to search our motives when we ask. Uh, it's also not a substitute. Prayer is not a substitute for obedience or a detour around our responsibilities. Uh, God has some immutable laws. And an easy example of that is, of course, the plan of salvation. Uh, an example that's easy for us to, to hear and use would be when we talk about the so-called sinner's prayer, that people pray, that the lost will pray in hope <coughs> that a belief that they've obtained salvation through that prayer. And of course, we know that is a false belief. That's not taught in scriptures that we're going to pray for salvation and it's going to be given. A more difficult example is hits home with us is when we pray for the lost. We should be careful how we pray for the lost because we can't pray for the lost and say, well, God's going to take care of that. You know, I've prayed for the lost, so God will send somebody out to them uh, and I don't have any further responsibility. It, it doesn't negate our responsibility to pray for the lost. We need to to pray, to lead us to some soul today. Help us to recognize open doors and walk through them. Uh, help us to have the attitude and see the circumstances to aid in the sowing, watering of seed and cultivating it until God can give the increase. We cannot negate our responsibility through prayer. So we need to look at who do we pray for. We pray certainly for the lost, as did Jesus. Uh, Father, forgive them, as did Paul in Romans 10, as did Moses, as did Stephen. We pray for our brethren. Uh, we look at it in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. When we don't pray for our brethren, it can be a sin against God, that we are neglecting our brethren because prayer is so important in the lives of the Christian. We're to pray for one another 
It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James 5.16. We're to pray for the sick. That's James 5.15. Prayer of faith shall save the sick. Paul prayed uh, for a father who was sick. David prayed for his sick child. As I said, sometimes the answer is still no. We're to pray for the rulers of our land. I always find this one interesting because when Paul said that, the people that were ruling in his land were pretty evil people. People like Nero. And yet, he said we should pray for those who are in authority. And so the character of the leader doesn't negate that we should pray for them. Uh, And don't be like that person I told you about that prayed that I get hit by a train. Don't be that way about it. We pray for them to obey godly principles, to turn to God, to have wisdom in their judgments and their their governing, uh, health, those sorts of things. We pray positive things for the rulers of our lands. We're to pray for our enemies. Well, that one's easy, huh? <laughs> that one's pretty tough. Pray for people that, that misuse you and despise you and speak evil against you. But if we pray for them and we put that from our heart to God, eventually they may cease to be our enemies. We may win them over and prayer helps with that. We need to pray for preachers. I certainly appreciate it whenever uh, prayer is offered for me and for my family. It's encouraging to us and also helpful uh, to put that before God. They say that, I'm going to try not to trip over these words, but prayerless pews make powerless pulpits. I did it. I'm not going to say it three times fast. But the truth is that if, if those in the pews are not praying for the preacher, his family, for the message, for the truth, then it's a powerless pulpit. I want to look at a few things that we should be praying for, and I'm going to quickly go down this list because I don't want to keep you here uh, all day. Uh, like prayers, they don't have to be eternal to be immortal. Sermons are the same way. Uh, so, so I will quickly go down this list. What are some things that we should be praying for? Strength in times of temptation. That's Matthew 26:41. Wisdom and understanding. James 1, 5 through 7. Unity, certainly that's Jesus' prayer uh, for his apostles, disciples, and the church uh, in John 17. Physical blessings, that's Matthew 6, 11. For forgiveness, Matthew 6, 12. Uh, laborers to be sent in, into the field, those to, to go out and do the work of the Lord. I see this all the time. There is so much to do, and there are so few people to do it. We certainly don't need to compete in, in the church or any church works. We need to work together uh, to, to increase. Care whenever we're burdened for directions, whenever we're seeking decisions, whenever we have some difficult thing, we need to take that to God. Guidance whenever we're in times of problems. Comfort when facing difficulty. When we pray in worship, we need to make sure, just as we are to make sure that we are approved by God before we take of the Lord's Supper, that we're taking this in a worthy manner, 
The same needs to be true for those who are leading the church in prayer. They need to be somebody who's obedient, who's confident but submissive, must be one who abides in Christ, be someone who is forgiving, be someone who is righteous and holy, not set-apart priest like we talked about in Bible class, for we are all priests, but it needs to be somebody who is abiding in Christ and is leading a righteous and holy life, and someone who is humble, living near God and for God. And I've often thought about the fact that Jesus would go to the mountain to pray. And, and why did he do that? Well, it's secluded. It's high up. You can, you can see a long way. And I've been on a couple of mountains in Israel where there's one where he went up to pray before making the decision about choosing the apostles. And you can see the whole Sea of Galilee. You can see dozens of towns up there. And you see like half of Israel up there on that mountain. I think part of it is just for reflection and for perspective. Uh, I think that's part of why Jesus went up there. He went up there to be alone, to contemplate, and to be close to God. And I think we need to do that in our prayer lives, not necessarily a mountain, but we need to go to a place where we can be alone and thoughtful in prayer to God. I'm trying to think of what I can cut so I don't uh, keep you here all day. But I'm going to talk about uh, how God answers prayer. So there's three ways, essentially, that God answers prayer found in the Bible. Uh, one of those is miraculously. Now, he does not do that today. We've talked about that before. And I know you all know this, but from 1 Corinthians 13, where the times of miracles have passed, uh, God no longer answers prayers miraculously. That is not something that happens now, but it did happen uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, in the early church. The second way God answers prayers is auto-suggestively. That is that if I pray to God for, for patience or kindness or gentleness, I've verbalized those things to God. I'm suggesting them to myself. I'm focusing on those things, and it's helping me uh, bring that to my attention. It's kind of like when you get a new car, and all of a sudden you see that same car everywhere on the road. You never noticed the 5,000 Civics before, but there they are everywhere you go. It's kind of like that. Now that you've got one, you're focusing on, on that. That's true when we focus on something in prayer, we're going to recognize that in our lives. Sorry, I was losing my voice. <coughs> and another way that God answers prayers is providentially. Uh, there's a lot to that. I don't fully understand how that works. But I know that it works. I know that God works things out in our lives, not in a miraculous way, but in a providential way, is that all things work together for good. I want to offer a few practical, helpful suggestions for our, our public prayers, and, and then I'll close with an invitation. We need to avoid in 
public prayer, just excessive personal references to, to things we're struggling with and dealing with because we're leading the assembly. We're leading all of the Christians here in prayer. Uh, it doesn't need to be specific and personal to just you. It needs to be for the congregation. Uh, we need to speak up. We don't need to, to mumble. We need to have the best clarity of speech that we can. We need to avoid uh, lengthy prayers, just like we need to avoid lengthy sermons, right? And uh, it's not some chance to have just an oratorical flight, as they say. It's not a chance to just be be poetic. We need to make it so that people can understand the prayer that's being prayed. It needs to be prayed at a level that even the children that are there in attendance can understand it. We need to avoid repetition. Uh, If we're praying for a specific thing, like restoration of someone, we need to pray for them to be restored. We need to cover that thing that we are supposed to be praying about at that time. We don't need to forget to include special requests. Uh, I know that uh, I have a Bible class that I go to at Eastridge, and they always have prayer requests at the beginning. I jot them down because he never lets you know ahead of time if he's going to call on you to pray. And I don't have the best memory in the world, so I jot every single prayer request down so I don't forget it if he happens to call on me to pray. And then I try to cover all the requests that were made. I think it's important to do that when people are requesting prayers that we do cover those things in the prayer. Avoid time delays between other acts of worship and and your prayer. That's not as much of a problem uh, here, but at Eastridge there's like this long path to get up to the pulpit and it drives me crazy personally that people just will sit halfway down the back and it's time for them to have a prayer and the song leader finishes and he sits down and then they slowly make their way up and it's like 45 seconds before they get up there of just dead time in worship. So it's important that we're prepared when it's our turn uh, to lead that we do that in a timely manner and pray about our current concerns, pray appropriately. Uh, if it's for, what do I mean by that? It's kind of like I compare it to song leading where the song leader will pick, oh, why not tonight in the morning uh, for the invitation song. Uh, I, don't, I don't want that happening, right? I don't want it to, to encourage you. Don't, don't obey the gospel right now, just why not tonight, you know? Uh, we don't want that. And the same is true uh, in a prayer. We need to be appropriate and pray for the appropriate things in our prayer. Make our prayers consistent with truth. Don't ask for things that, like miracles and things of that nature uh, that are not consistent with truth. And I think we should study prayer, study how God's people prayed in the Bible, study the Psalms, uh, avoid the stereotypical prayer, be specific, avoid limiting Uh, the scope of our petitions to God. Let God fill up our cup to overflowing. Uh, And it's not wrong to practice and prepare prayers just like the the preacher will practice and prepare his sermon, just like the song leader will practice and prepare. The same is true. And if you are nervous or forgetful as you you get up in front of people, uh, then write it down. There's nothing wrong with that so that you don't forget what it is you want to say. We want to give our best to God. And I think that's always true and always important. We want to reverently and humbly come before God 
with our heart's desires. And I think that's that's the key of prayer. So I wanted to focus on that today. I understand that this isn't a lesson that might cause you to think about the sin or struggles in your life and want to either obey the gospel or or be restored. But at the same time, if you have not obeyed the gospel, you do not have access to the Father through the Son. You do not have access to prayers. God does not hear those prayers. Now, He knows that they exist. He hears them in the sense that He knows that you have prayed. But the, that petition doesn't go before the Father unless you're abiding in Christ. It's one of the blessings that comes from being in Christ. And I would encourage you today, if you have not obeyed the gospel, to do that. If you've fallen away, prayer is how we access the Father again. It's how we come back to the Father through repentance, confession, repentance, and prayer. We would be happy to pray with you and for you and be there for you as you continue in struggling against the sin that's in your life. If any of those is the case for you uh, this morning, please come forward, make it known as we stand and sing.